0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a
1: new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's January 31st, 2022, as we deliver you a new show. The final day of January leading into February... We usually have us getting excited with the wind down of free agent signings, maybe last minute trades before pitchers and catchers report. Alas, the Major League Baseball lockout continues. For this episode, I figured we could explore a different avenue. With a new CBA, eventually, we'll see new rules implemented in baseball. Some independent leagues are being very bold with some of their new rules, and the robot overlords are arriving in AAA baseball this upcoming season. What rules would you like to see implemented for Major League Baseball? Well, we'll be sharing some of our favorites that we got from our followers on Twitter. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Marulis. And hello, Jim. How do you feel about the overall concept of rules? Are you a square who tends to follow all rules, or do you side towards being a rebel and don't believe rules apply to you?
2: I am thoroughly a square. (laughs) I
1: am I haven't
2: (laughs) even gotten a speeding ticket.
1: Oh, I can't say the same. (laughs) I definitely got a speeding ticket. Uh, I was 16 years old, and I was trying to get back to the house in time to watch game seven of the eastern conference finals between the philadelphia 76ers and the milwaukee bucks hmm. and i was going 42 and a 25 and i got a speedy ticket it's the I've only speeding ticket i've ever gotten
2: i've been pulled over three times but only one was for speeding that was 71 and 65 at like 10 30 at night in central illinois i think the guy was bored but no tickets <laughs> resulted from it uh anyway yeah that's that's me <laughs> <laughs> you get pulled over going 71 and a
1: 65? Yep. Oh but my off gosh. with a warning, so I'm screaming at people if they're only going 71 and a 65 on the highway. Oh man. Well, I should okay. So I've also got the automated speedy tickets to the city of Chicago. Mm. I don't think those count. I'm sure there's a class action lawsuit that's gonna be happening in a few years that I will be participating in. But actually, getting pulled over and getting a speeding ticket—I'm with you. Uh, I've only gotten once. You have—you haven't gotten one. So maybe one day, if you're lucky, Jim, you'll get pulled over and get a speeding ticket. Anyways, all right. So we're both squares. We're not rebels. Uh, I can tell you, my fiance Kim is very much a rebel. Does not believe the rules ever apply to her. So that's a. That's a interesting situation at times between us. <laughs> is this the, the in question? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. But, but just you know, as far as daily activity, yeah. Yeah, r- rules do not apply to her. Anyways, <laughs> I want to start this show, since we're both squares, with one of the most bizarre rule changes I have read in a while. This rule change comes from the Frontier League with such teams as your form, former home gym, the Tri-City Valley Cats, and locally to Chicago, the Schomburg Boomers. And the Frontier League is going to change how extra innings work. So their new rule, starting with the 11th inning during a nine-inning game, or the ninth inning in a seven-inning double header, when the game enters those innings, there will be sudden death the home team's manager will decide to play offense or defense for the 11th inning the offensive team will have a runner at first base not second base like the 10th inning and if that runner scores the offensive team wins the game if the defensive team strands that runner they win the game So it is possible that you will see walk-off victories for the road team with this format. And this new sudden death rule replaces the home run derby swaying off uh, that they had last year, which each team had eight pitches to hit home runs off of. Uh, All right. Uh, This is one of the craziest rule changes I have seen, especially for extra innings. Mm -hmm. So, Jim, is this new extra innings format too crazy or... So crazy, it makes extra innings
2: better. I think it's fine for the Frontier League. I thought you were going to say when you mentioned my former team that it was the Mid Missouri Mavericks. Uh, in I covered a lot of Frontier League baseball. When I was at Mizzou. Uh, they were the local team. They no longer exist, but they play in the summers uh, after the Mizzou uh, baseball season was over. And I've seen a lot of Frontier League baseball, and it's not good. You know, or it's not like it's <laughs> fans aren't there for the you know the. I guess, the records, <laughs> the, the, the Strix wins and losses, the, uh, you know, knowing who their batting leaders are, knowing the, the what the ERA chase looks like. And the same thing for even the Tri-City Valley Cats, which was short season A-ball when I was in the, uh, capital region. But yeah, it just, it, it's there for the fans. It's there for the fun when the extra innings go on, like the, the, even like by the ninth inning, people go home, families go home, you know, it's, it's, you know, whether it's, especially if it's a school night. So I think it makes sense to end games as you know, not as quickly as possible, but as you know, give it one shot. But then you know, make it interesting if they're going to end it. You know, give fans a reason to stick around to the end. So I, you know, I, I'm not opposed to it on that front, and I'm also intrigued by in a, a rule or like a a method of extra innings that could really have the manager insulting his own team. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, if you say like we're gonna we're gonna pitch, you gotta be looking at your lines saying like. Pfft. <laughs> like, we have nothing we have you know just uh you know basically like just you know three automatic outs you know there's right. way to advance that runner home even with productive outs uh, we don't like our chances so or or you know in the event that you have like a Liam Hendricks type and you think like okay that's three strikeouts or that's you know uh, uh Pop out and two strikeouts, whatever have you, like they're not going to advance that runner. But uh, I think it's, uh, it, it creates some interesting political decisions that the manager has to make kind of along the lines of the floated rule where the uh, top team in the league for the playoffs uh, gets to pick its opponent <laughs> kind of along the same lines where it's fraught with uh, if this decision insults somebody or also a team. Like, that's what I find fascinating about it. It's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, as you mentioned that. So let's say
1: after this season, Rob Manfred sees this extra innings rule play out and decides this would be great in Major League Baseball. How do you think Tony La Russa would manage this choice when entering a game in the 11th inning? And he had to decide if the White Sox are playing at home, whether the White Sox are hitting or they're going back to the bullpen and have someone try to close it out in the 11th inning.
2: I would think he would always take the hitter just because in that case, you're not really penalized for a bunt. Hmm. You know, if you're just, you know, if you can get the runner over no matter what, if he, if, if playing for one run actually wins the game, he seems pretty comfortable playing for one run, or at least if he has the personnel that does it. Like if, uh, you know the inning is starting, and you have a runner on second base, and Larry Garcia is coming to the plate. He'll just say bunt. You know, just automatically reflexive bunt call, and and that I imagine being the way it goes. Even with like a Hendricks type in the bullpen, I, I don't see, I don't really see a, a way for, you know, under these rules, unless you know it's a case like the Frontier League where you have a lot of offenses that just dry up after like two or three hitters, and you might have a case where you have a lot of two to one games drag on that it makes sense to maybe pitch depending on where the lineup is. Like if you're at the seventh hitter might make sense to pitch, but I don't see like a major league lineup ever taking the ball for whatever reason, unless you just have like the, like a Josh Hader type in his peak fully rested one inning where you feel like you're putting the ball in his hands. But if you don't have to worry about the other team ever coming to bat, I don't know why you would choose to pitch.
1: Yeah, that's, you raise an interesting point because let's say if this was actually implemented in major league baseball, by the time the white Sox got to the 11th inning, I'm already assuming Liam Hendricks has already pitched in the game. Yeah. He pitched in the ninth or he pitched in the 10th inning. And if it's like most games, you're down to Ryan Burr. So don't the Rusa if this was ever implemented in major league baseball, which it's not, but just play along with us right now. If he had the choice of going to Ryan Burr to close out the eleventh inning, which if he does, the White Sox win the game. They don't even have to bat. They win the game or go to a seven eight nine part of the lineup, you think that LaRussa would pick seven eight nine?
2: I think so, just because the you know, when it comes to major league lineups, they're all they all should be able to get a runner home from second, you know, given three cracks at it. I think unless you have like the pitcher coming to the plate, like national league rules, then maybe it's a case where you're looking at like a squeeze at best or like, you don't, if you're, if your bench is empty, that sort of thing. But
1: I just, well, with this rule, the runners on first base,
2: Oh, runners on first base. Okay.
1: You can still bunt them over and you have a runner at second with one. out. Yeah. So you're going to get two outs to work with, to get the guy home.
2: Okay. I was thinking runner. Sorry. I was thinking runner on, on second runner, runner, runner on first, first base that makes it a lot more interesting. And I think that's a case where if you have like a Liam Hendricks still available, then I think maybe you take your chances with that because I think, you know, when it comes to run expectancy that it's just, it's a different animal when you have a runner on second, we don't have the threat of a double play, basically a racing, putting the hitter on as we've seen with the white Sox lineup, Mm -hmm. like the ground balls that they generate. Uh, sometimes a walk or a single doesn't mean all that much, especially depending on the hitter coming up. So yeah, I could see a case where, uh, you know, La Russa does take the pitcher if his best pitcher is available. But if it's, say, you know, a knockdown dragout fight and uh, Hendricks has been used and Bummer's been used and all of a sudden you are down to like the Ryan Burrs or the, uh, you know, like say a pitcher who is either prone to wild pitches or really slow to the plate and they can steal on them. Then I think that changes the math uh, on, on just, uh, you know, what a team would do. But I think it would maybe, you know, thinking about that, it would make, uh, hitters or the, the offensive team may be more aggressive on the base paths. Hmm. You know, maybe leveraging pinch runners more, maybe just trying to see, you know, if they bring in a closer who's really slow to the plate, would they just try to run on them, take second automatically, and then all of a sudden it's basically trying to simulate that runner on second rule. And there's a lot of
1: factors. So if you look at the opposing lineup and you know three, four, five is coming up, you may pick to be the offensive team because you don't want the middle of their, their order to get an opportunity, right? You, so this is this is interesting. Like It really puts the onus on the manager to make a critical decision in this situation that's going to decide the game. Because if you pick offense and your team doesn't score, you lose. Mm-hmm. If you pick offense and that runner from first scores, you win. You don't even have to worry about what pitcher you're bringing out of the bullpen. In the bottom half or the top half of the next inning, the game is over. So it really puts a lot more pressure on the manager to make the right call. And there's a lot of things in-game they would have to weigh before they make that decision after the 10th inning. I think this has got potential to be so crazy it could work in Major League Baseball. Yeah.
2: When it comes to like, I'm thinking like typical manager frustrations, you know, from fans, I'm thinking like one case is like, when is the closer used? Or like, you know, can the closer come in in the tie game? Can a closer come in the tie game in the road where you know, if he records the final out, he still might have to pitch another inning. I could see a case where all of a sudden that makes the math really simple on how to use your high leverage relievers. Like if you know that the eleventh inning is your choice, basically, or like the home team's choice, whatever, and and you have a sense of what Mm -hmm. that manager is going to pick on the other side. Yeah, I think it makes managing the high leverage relievers in those games, you know, fairly more simple. Just because you know, say if you have like, you know, you're looking at Aaron Bummer and Liam Hendricks, uh, ninth and tenth innings. Like, okay, well you can have. Uh, you know, if you like Bummer, if Bummer's in one of his grooves where he's as good as anybody, uh, yeah, sure, have Bummer pitch a ninth. Then you have Hendricks pitch a tenth. If, especially if it's against like a, uh, the heart of the other team's order. And then after that, just like okay, it's out of my hands. Like I don't have another pitcher decision to make. Um, it, the the game ends here, and so uh, I don't have to worry about a safe situation ever setting up. Um, that's I think what uh, is kind of I guess pleasing about it. Just it makes end in sight. Yeah, it almost puts baseball on the clock. You know, we talk about like how baseball has no clock and that's what makes it such a great game. But it does create the kind of end of game situation. And I think we saw it with the NFL playoffs with the Bill's Chiefs game. Uh Just uh, you can try to plan for the end of the game, but you can just, you know, If you play prevent defense, that might be the bad choice. You could see baseball managers coming into the same uh, situation here where they're trying to maybe like run out the clock effectively on a game by having the closer come in, but maybe it's an inning too early. You never quite know based on uh, how it happened. So it does create some interesting situations. And I do like the idea of just like maybe – you know, I I think it's different from, say, like, you know, pinch hitting for a guy, you know, the insult that might come with pinch hitting for a guy or bringing in a pitcher, you know, relieving a pitcher who you think has it or on the mound who he thinks has it. I think if you're you're talking about, like, I want to pick a pitcher over an entire unit, I think that's where uh, the guy making decisions has to have that in mind, like, what that says about his team, his lineup, his bullpen, what have you. Like, if he just uh, foregoes, like, the... Theoretical middle of his order for a reliever who isn't his best reliever. It could lead to some really weird box
1: scores, though. Like, you could have a box score that reads 5-5, five to five, but the White Sox win in 11 innings because they shut out yeah their opponent in the 11th inning. Like, th- it can be a little weird for historical reasons. If you're catching up with a box score, like, how can a game that has the same amount of runs... And one team wins and the other team doesn't. And I don't know how you would label those box scores or label these types of wins for this rule change. But the more I think about it, I still think it's very crazy. I would love to hear the reaction from those that despise the current extra innings rule with a runner on second base on how they would feel about this this extra innings rule going into the 11th inning. Because, mm-hmm. again, for the Frontier League, they don't have that many pitchers. So, obviously, they're doing this to save on arms. And for Major League Baseball, let's be honest, kind of has the same problem, too, that pitching uh, is a very valuable resource that's not infinite. <laughs> and to save on arms and to save on bullets during a grueling marathon season... Should Major League Baseball possibly adopt this type of sudden death extra innings affair where no matter what, this game is ending in 11 innings. It's not going to the 12th or beyond during the regular season. Now, obviously, in the postseason, you would want to go back to non-sudden death and play Mm. as many innings as it takes to, to win the game in the postseason. So this is just strictly we're talking about regular season. But I find it interesting. And in 2021, road teams only win in extra inning games because obviously they score run in the top half or more runs in the top half of the inning than the home team does in the bottom half. Road teams had a 524 winning percentage in extra inning games last year, Jim. Hmm. So hitting, as you were mentioning for Tony the may be the way to go. That may be the analytic play where... You're to have a 52% chance of winning the game if you pick to be on offense instead of being the defensive team.
2: Yeah, I'm just thinking of like Craig Kimbrell innings where a run on first really posed problems just because of the threat of a wild pitch or just how easy it was to run on. The presence of a runner compounded issues. So I think that's that's why I think just the interpersonal nature of it, just how it suggests you know the confidence you're voicing in certain people or certain lineups or certain matchups, I think is really... Would be fun to hear about, fun to ask about, fun to write about, fun to second guess. So that's why I think as as people who are in the content business, <laughs> people who mm-hmm. enjoy first guessing and second guessing, but also just like sitting back and letting it play out. <laughs> like in this case, I might have first guesses, but I'd call them more hunches or thoughts and be willing to see like, I'd be willing to see the counter course being chosen to see how it plays out like this being such a foreign concept for baseball. Like it'd be just fun to watch it unfold. Um, maybe, you know, play my hunches against La Russa's and see who's winning and why. And, and, and if there are any, like, you know, and, and I imagine like baseball prospectus or fan graphs would be looking for through lines, you know, across all teams, seeing what the strategies are, seeing like what the, you know, run matrix you know, run matrices say, depending on uh, your know, part of the lineup or you know, quality of the closer or quality of the reliever. in. like, it's, it's fun mm-hmm. be weird baseball it'd be more of a perversion of baseball than the current manfred man rule is with the runner on second but i think it it does lend itself to like discussion and interest and people hanging around because like oh we have our six seven eight against their fifth reliever like what are you gonna do <laughs> like you know how do you like it so yeah that's I like it. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious to see how it plays out in independent league baseball. I. Th- I do think it's a little bit weird. Like just. Yeah in minor league baseball like when you're coming to, when you're talking about like development of players and you're and you're looking at I guess execution normal game situations I think it'd be a little bit weird to have it in the minor leagues for A ball to say like uh we're hanging this loss on you or we're you're know, not trusting you know, Our normal hitters who would come up when it's just an extra chance to get at bats in game situations like it's a developmental thing I don't necessarily like it in a developmental situation, but for like a high stake situation <laughs> where the manager is getting paid and all the players are getting paid. And it's really important. Like I could see it being a better rule in the majors and the minors.
1: All right. Okay. So maybe the sudden death extra innings rule will come to the majors. And if it does, Jim and I are already early fans of this idea. So good luck frontier league. I am very curious on how this plays out during the 2022 season. The next topic Robot umpires are arriving to AAA. The automated strike zones are coming to AAA baseball in 2022. 11 stadiums in AAA will have the automated strike zone. And one of those stadiums is Charlotte. So White Sox pitchers in AAA performing in the in-home games will have this automated strike zone that they're working with. Jim, what are your expectations for this robot umpire slash automated strike zone that they're going to implement in triple a baseball at least in about a dozen stadiums and one of them being charlotte
2: i'd read about how it went in the arizona fall league and and i think it was low a southeast was the other league that had robot umps or robotic strike zone in their full seasons and it seemed like it took like a couple months to fine tune it into try to eliminate the ones that made everybody upset, like a ball in the dirt being called a strike or balls like way out in the batter's box, the way they they, they set the depth of the strike being called more towards the center of the, or like the back half of the plate versus the front half because I think they were getting some reads that just everybody agreed were just not right. The way that like, you know, kind of umpires can... Uh, make up for like, if a pitch is in the dirt, it's not going to be called a strike, generally speaking. And I think everybody's more or less okay with that. Just uh, unrealistic expectations of the hitter to be able to put a bat on something that's pretty much crossing their ankles by the time they get to it, unless you're like Vladimir Guerrero. So I, I think it, uh, there, there was some fine tuning to where it may not be that big of an issue by the time we see it in Charlotte. What I think is interesting is how it affects catcher development. Like I'm thinking of a guy like Carlos Perez, who is in double a he's had a nice season in uh Birmingham and he has a good reputation for blocking and throwing he's got a good like caught stealing rate he puts the bat on the ball he doesn't strike out very much like he's very much somebody who could be in play for a third catcher spot the one weakness is his receiving like his framing numbers at least according to baseball prospectus are not that great so if he goes to Charlotte and then like they look at him and say, like, he's a bigger part of our plans. We're gonna have Jerry Naren working with him during spring training. We're gonna be, you know, trying to, you know, incorporate maybe one knee down to get more of the low strikes that he's missing and see if we can like shape him up into an average framer the way that we shape James McCann up into an average framer. If he you know, if he's all of a sudden catching an automatic strike zone. I wonder if like it just the reward for catching on one knee to trying to, you know, to to framing strikes isn't there. And if you don't have that feedback either of like preserving strikes, like catching strikes well and keeping them strikes or, you know, catching fringe balls that are called strikes. Like, you you know, framing is both like thievery, but also just like trying to make sure your pitcher gets every strike he actually throws. If you don't get that feedback, I imagine it's pretty hard to shape a habit. So I can see like catchers who are like on the verge Mm. of becoming decent framers, or you know trying to do what they can to see how they're you know shaping up. Especially if they're catching more major league pitchers, and, and and you know catching for better umpires is usually the case going up the minor league ladder. That if you don't get that feedback of human you know judgment calling strikes, I wonder how that affects somebody like you know who wants to be a better framer when he goes up to an automatic or a non-automatic strike zone, you know, standard human strike zone in the majors. Like I can see that being a uh, a rude wake-up call for developing catchers in that regard.
1: So you don't think this could save a Zach Collins, for example, where Zach Collins continues to struggle with pitch framing.
2: You know, I mean, it would help him in the majors, but like, you know, if, if it's not in the majors and if it's just in triple a, like I just see it like being a weird interruption for a, you know, a catcher what they're trying to work on like I could see like if if somehow automatic strike zone got to the majors then all of a sudden you know one of Zach Collins biggest flaws is no longer a flaw and so maybe you see like better blocking out of the guys who are aspiring framers because they no longer have to worry about keeping their mitt still and so they can just throw their gloves in awkward fashions at all pitches to keep them in front of the plate you know a guy like Yasmani Grandal maybe is not as valuable as a a receiver maybe he shapes up a little bit better as a pitch blocker because he's not worried so much about preserving strikes to where balls glance off his glove like i can see that you know helping guys in the major leagues but i think as it's currently implemented or plan to be implemented in triple a and then all of a sudden you're going back to human strike zones in the majors i can see it being like well how good of a job receiving am i actually doing you can look at the the film and kind of guess maybe uh um, you know, maybe Uh, every week, you know, every week, maybe some, you know, of the White Sox analytic personnel will, you know, show the catchers, the fringe strikes they've been working on and say like, you've been doing good, keep it up. But without that kind of feedback behind them, you know, just validating what they've been doing, saying strike when they know they got away with one and and just kind of rewarding, uh, that behavior and the physical actions of catching those strikes, uh, I can see like just having no real way to train real time. Like I can't see it being, uh, you know, maybe some catchers, uh, maybe I'm not giving catchers enough credits and maybe they can kind of store strikes they know they've caught once they get it on film later. But I just see that as being difficult without that immediate feedback. Well, we're going to take a quick break
1: for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, we share our reactions to the rule changes you, our followers and listeners, suggested. welcome back to the socks machine podcast all right jim let's act as judges here and provide our quick reactions to some rule changes suggested by our twitter followers which if you do have twitter and you are not following us you can so at socks machine and you can follow me on twitter at socks machine underscore josh all right the first one comes from at alone teen socks fan and they tweeted to us no division based Postseason seeding—just seed the postseason teams by overall record. How do you feel about that one?
2: I think it's probably moving that way, especially you know if they're talking about postseason expansion. Like it seems like if you let more teams in, then it would seem that that would dictate the seeding like if if you have like a team that's barely 500 you would think that the top team would play them no matter what or the team with the second best record if there's a buy introduced somehow but I would imagine that yeah it would have to be if you expand the postseason and you get lesser teams in that team did the best to secure the best record in the league would just want to play that team no matter what I would think
1: right It this rule would open the possibility where a team that wins 88 games wins their division would have the seventh best record in that league. They would not be the number three seed because they won their division with this rule. They'd be the number seven seed, (laughs) and not really getting, you know, too much as far as credit with the division title. Congrats. You won the division. You are now the seventh seed. Uh, You do not have home field advantage. Like it is looking to be set up for this upcoming season. I find it interesting, alone Teen Sox fan, so thank you for that. Uh Mailman mm-hmm. Jack from Twitter. This is a wild one. He wants to eliminate the infield fly rule, Jim.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised, you know, when the infield fly rule is uh called that more players more teams don't just let the ball fall yeah that's true just to see like you know when you see what happens when runners get caught in between like in pickle and two uh two runners end up on the same base and nobody knows who to tag or who has the right to the base you know and and who should back off and who should like when you see that or even like the javier baez play uh with the pirates uh was it will craig (sighs) you know chasing him back home like when he had to step on first like whenever like order breaks down on the base paths, like it doesn't seem like, you know, the players involved have a really strong sense of who's got a right to what. So I'm surprised that more teams just don't let the ball drop and see what happens. I think the drawback of having no infield fly roll just means you have more double plays. And I think that's something you want to avoid in baseball. It makes it pretty easy. Maybe you have more wild throws and some crazy little league type action because somebody tries rushing a throw or getting too cute. And, and uh, all of a sudden it was a a risk that backfired, but I think you just see more double plays in the end. And that's not necessarily exciting, but I am for just infielders letting the ball drop just to see who has the brain fart. Uh, It would cause chaos. If you hit an infield fly,
1: like an infield pop-up with the bases loaded. Mm Yes. It would cause chaos within the infield. Uh, Cherizi, our friend from the one Oh eight, uh, he tweeted to us, replay officials only get 60 seconds to review. If they can't make a call within 60 seconds, the play stands as called. How do you feel about that
2: one? I think it makes sense in a general level. I just wonder when it comes to replay system itself, like, you know, would there be a cases where they don't actually start looking at it until, you know, 40 seconds in just because of some like, you know, concurrent replays going on at the same time where all of a sudden just there's like kind of a uh, you know air traffic mess at uh, in New York so I could see a case where you know they're getting the headsets on but nobody's really looking at it yet or they're wrapping up another play what have you so I could see it being you know maybe it up at like 90 seconds just in that case because usually I think by 90 seconds that's when people start getting antsy. I'm thinking at the ballpark when uh, they play, let it be. And all of a sudden you get to the guitar solo. <laughs> that's when it's like, this has been on too long. And yeah. then, you know, they, they go on to tell me something good. Like when they go on a second song, that's when it gets ridiculous. <laughs> but, uh, it would seem like maybe 60 seconds might be too short based on like some snags that maybe happen. Um, The other thing I have, because I'm kind of skeptical of just the way gambling has infiltrated into like every, like every sporting event, just seeing all the casino ads, basically every casino break is wondering like, could somebody just drag out a replay if they needed to stand? Somebody connected in the game. Can they just say like, oh, I don't know. Let me take another look. 59, 60 up. Well, I guess that call stands because <laughs> I have a hundred bucks on this game. Like that's the other thing I wonder about. Um, so that's, that's why I wonder if like a hard and fast time might be something that's a little bit too easy to manipulate, but that's just the two thoughts that come to mind. But I think it makes sense. You know, at some level, it does get ridiculous when you're trying to, the, the only replay I understand that takes a bit longer is when it involves placing runners. Like when they actually have to, you know, they say a ball's in play and they have to try to guess where a runner would have been. That's when I can see it being more complicated and needing more looks from more angles. He answered one question, now you have another answer. But when it comes to just out safe, no other repercussions, then yeah, that's, there, there is, like, there should be an end point at some point that isn't just, uh, I don't know, but, you know, four and a half minutes later <laughs> versus two minutes later.
1: Uh, Daniel Levy says that he likes the idea that the team with the best record that missed the postseason – Gets the number one draft pick. We, we talked about that idea to mm-hmm. try to limit the amount of tanking that goes on in the league. our uh, Grosso 83 get rid of signs from the base coaches when runners are on. Hmm. Interesting. Beefloaf, again, one of our friends from the 108, tweeted to us, limit the game day active roster to just 18 players. So even though you have a 26-man roster... You can't use all 26 players. You can only use an active roster of 18 players, which would obviously limit the amount of pitchers that you have.
2: I kind of like it. I think it makes sense from a aesthetic standpoint, like having the parade of pitchers come out. It does add more value to your starters going longer. And so, like a team like the White Sox, they had a great rotation last year. would certainly benefit them uh, more than other teams. That are trying to stitch it together. I think what you know the the drawback is that it does maybe. Make some pitchers, you know, like a little less valuable if you can't like use them by surprise, like you know, if you can't like spring a third consecutive appearance on them because they happen to be, you know, just on a roll or especially durable or especially like you know, just the, the manager is making the high leverage play now and, and because it's available to him and he's encountering some risk later. I think it does reduce some of the, I, I guess, some things that make some pitchers special. While enhancing, or I guess making more significant, what makes other pitchers special? Like, if you add innings, great. If you uh, if you can be used on back to back back days, uh, you know maybe I guess you just roster that pitcher perhaps. But I think I, I do like having the ability for managers to improvise within reason. So I think a lot of that was addressed by the three batter minimum. I think so. I'm more or less content with how many relievers are being used now. Big picture, I think it you know, when it comes to pace of play. I think the pitch clock is something that I guess would more address, be my next thought, I guess, to address just how quickly the game proceeds.
1: Yeah. As in rec tweeted to us, implement the pitch clock, which we have talked over the years. I'm still surprised that we do not have a pitch clock in major league baseball, but yeah, I I would like to see the pitch clock to help as far as with speeding up the game. I think that'll do a better job of doing that than the three batter, batter minimum, for the pitchers right now. Uh, Chris McGowan uh, tweeted to us, if you bunt safely for a hit, that should be ruled a ground rule double. <laughs> uh, Patrick McKean, uh tweeted at us, uh, trading draft picks, which we are in favor of. Mm-hmm. Uh, White Sox Players Association Twitter tweeted to us, a high sock mandate, outlaw full length pants. Jim, are you pro high sock or, or were you a full length pant guy when you played baseball?
2: I like high socks. I like stirrups. I think they make everybody look faster regardless of how (laughs) slow they am. And and considering I was often the slowest kid on my team, I was more of a coordination based game, like contact bat to ball, catching fly balls versus tools. Like I, I was probably I had a hit tool and that was it. All right. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, I, I needed all the optical illusion I could generate. So <laughs> I, I did wear my, uh, my socks high. All
1: right. Yes. Money should wear socks then if yes. that is true. So you can look faster as he runs down or walks down the first baseline. Uh, we got a couple extra inning changes as we talked about that at the beginning of the show, be a goldfish for his extra innings change. Both teams play, two extra innings like normal. But if the game is still tied after the second extra inning, the result of the game is a tie. Are you cool with ties in baseball, Jim? I'm
2: generally speaking, I would say no, but it's the kind of rule where I wouldn't mind seeing it played for one year just to see what happened or like, you know, what the reaction is. Cause when you look at baseball uh, history, you look at like old white Sox records from, you know, like the, before 1960s you see the occasional tie here and there especially like in the early century before lights and when teams are on train schedules that you had like you know, more games in ties you had curfews you had uh, you know smog <laughs> uh, you know smog stoppages just like you, know, you had terrible <laughs> air quality in some places just it, it was a case where just yeah some games just ended in ties and they couldn't make them up because you couldn't just you know, have impromptu air travel to drop a team in a city just the schedule was what it was so there is a historical root in baseball that involves ties. So I'm, you know, I, I don't think it's as weird as it might be for other sports. Um, like say like basketball, if basketball had ties, like that's, that's a case where, you yeah. know, overtimes should settle basketball eventually, but baseball, you know, it does have a history of running out of time or running out of daylight in the past. So it, it, it's not as historically, uh, dissonant as it might as some fans might think it would be so I would be okay trying it I wouldn't be okay with it like being the permanent solution but I wouldn't mind seeing it for a year just to understand what is maybe good about it or why baseball has avoided it for all these years maybe another
1: idea for the Frontier League Guga's Leogito tweeted to us his extra innings idea first extra inning is without the Manfred man rule uh, the eleventh inning and beyond, you could have a runner on second base. So, side question, Jim: What is your favorite Manfred Mann song? I
2: think I only know one of them, <laughs> which is uh, which not is not even their song, right? Uh, Blind by the light, but <laughs> that's true. Um, I was going to say when when it comes to, to Manfred
1: Man and the Earth Band, I, there's only two songs that I know, and I like them better as Bruce Springsteen covers than. Bruce Springsteen's originals of those songs, and that's "Blinded by the Light" and "For You." I, I like Manfred Mann's versions of those two songs better than Springsteen's, but yeah, I don't like anything else
2: that they do. <laughs> but yeah, I think we talked about that before when it comes to like the how jarring it is to go for like a you know that that Lucas Giolito Shane Bieber pitching duel where Giolito went seven and Bieber went nine, and then all of a sudden like scoreless going to tenth. Here is an arcade game that was a little bit weird. Yeah. But I think, you know, once you get to the 11th inning, maybe 12th inning, more questionable relievers in for the leverage uh, coming in. And so that's a case where it does not make sense to maybe have that game be accelerated just because it's already getting weird. But I think at least for, I don't mind having a transition inning or two just to, in the event that you have like a great game like that, just preserving the idea that a starting pitcher could go 10 and it could be a good idea. <laughs> thats I think what, what is lost when you all of a sudden you have a runner on second is no matter how good a starting pitcher is throwing, you're not going to want that guy in. And I think that's kind of the, the drawback of the Manfred man. So soon
1: old Hey Duke tweeted to us scrap balks. Only one throw is allowed to a base between pitches I think that's interesting. You have some very interesting pickoff moves if you scrap the bulk. <laughs> hmm. Uh Craig Erickson tweeted to us,
2: end interleague play. Well, I'm going, I'm just thinking about the no box. And I think like it could speed up the game, but it also just creates a mess. Like if a reliever just, you know, all of a sudden just, you know, theoretically you're never violating the pitch clock if you never look like you're pitching (laughs) like that could be a case where Mm. uh you could get some you know weird sideshows happening on the mound with a guy who just never wants to throw the ball or just might be like maybe i'm throwing to first now or maybe now yes so so i could see it being a case where that just gets absurd really quickly so you have to have a buck of some kind um going back to interleague play like i would be you know being uh being a traditionalist or being i say not necessarily traditionalist but a fan of things that make baseball weird, like talking about how one league has the DH and one league doesn't and me being a fan of just like no league would design that now. So I just enjoy it while it still exists. I think it's the same thing with just with having the national league. I, I enjoyed the dynamic of just not knowing necessarily about national league or just like the way Hawk Harrelson operated as though national league just didn't exist in that. Like you'd always say like, well, I don't know about the national league, but in the American league, you know, this guy is the best. And I thought that was, you know, as interleague play became more of a factor, you know, it became a case like, okay, maybe you should prepare a little bit better instead of just, you know, kind of just shrugging his shoulders at the National League. But I also thought it was kind of charming to just be kind of just ignorant or just, you know, uh, just kind of neglect the other half of the league because you're never going to see him unless it's the All-Star Game of the World Series. And I thought that was kind of fun. So I'm not opposed to it, but, uh and I'd be curious, I guess, you know, what the league would think about proposing it. Because I, I think the allure has maybe worn off. I think maybe the one thing that would be lost is like in a case like uh, fans who are saying, oh, White Sox are playing in San Francisco this year. I'm going to go watch them at uh, Oracle Park or San Diego or just like, you know, Coors Field, all the stadiums that they want to go to that they mm-hmm. have on their list of just, I'll go there when the White Sox play there. That, I think that would be lost. So I think that'd be, might be like the one uh, thing to keep in mind uh, that, that, that the benefit of having the White Sox play is that when the interleague schedule shows up, like people make road trips and vacations out of that. And I think that's kind of fun for a baseball fan. So that's why I would say keep it now, because there does seem to be a lot of people who enjoy that. Uh, a funny
1: one, Jimmy Griffin, opponents of the Chicago White Sox are no longer allowed to use right-handed pitchers.
2: Yeah, I, I think like it's this fine. Idea. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fine. Especially if they uh, only have like two lefties on the staff for a three-game exactly. series.
1: Make it so (laughs) make it so Rob Manfred and the most common shockingly universal DH, which I do believe we are getting in 2022 and uh, we'll see where Nelson Cruz lands up. I'm sure he'll get another contract to play in 2022. If there's universal DH, his market has doubled Mm -hmm. (laughs) in size uh, when that does happen. But great rule suggestions, everyone! Thank you so much for tweeting them to us. Again, our twitters are at socks
2: machine and at socks machine underscore Josh. Uh, before we end, I had one rule I thought would be mentioned because uh, I did see it. Uh, um, I thought I saw somebody mention like Jose Abreu can't be hit anymore. <laughs> like that was. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but one rule I thought of, you know, just that I'd be curious about. Uh, my crazy rule, my crazy contribution would be like for hit by pitches. Can the runner advance no matter what? So, like, if there's a runner on second and first base is open, hit by pitch, the Mm. runner on second moves to third. Or the runner Mm. on third moves to home. Not a dead ball. Like, having a little bit more of a penalty for hitting a batter versus, like, oh, we've set up a double play. Not a
1: dead ball. The ball is active. That would be very interesting for the Chris Sales of the world where they hit guys in the back foot with the slider and may cause a wild pitch scenario where it just ricochets off someone's foot and just goes to the backstop. I like this idea.
2: Or it hits, you know, Jose Abreu, like, right in the arm and, like, drops straight to the plate, and he picks it up and throws it down the foul line. <laughs> okay. That might be a bridge <laughs> too far. <laughs> uh, but, no, I,
1: I like it. Not a dead ball. If you hit someone with the pitch, it's not a dead ball. It is active.
2: Yeah, there's also uh, I forget who tweeted at me when it was during the uh, couple of games where Jose Abreu got hit twice. Uh, it, it's not. I'll say it's not my idea. I, I'll have to look up to see who who tweeted at me if I can find it. But saying like if Jose, if a guy gets hit twice in a game, or like say if a team gets hit twice in a game, the second uh, hit by pitch is two bases.
1: Okay, so really squeezing pitchers here, not wanting to throw inside, in fear of. If I hit a guy a second time or I hit a second batter, that's going to be like a double.
2: Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting, especially hmm. since hit by pitches are going up.
1: Yeah. It'd make hitters feel safer. It may increase scoring.
2: Yeah. It increases scoring. And I think it makes, you know, hitters safer and also just reduces the inequality of just how defenseless a hitter is. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just when a, you, know, you have a wild pitcher, who just like breaks guy's hand because he sucks. And they're just like, well, that's the game, you know. You just, you know, the, you know that's this, you know, that's bad luck. But just, you know, if a hitter charges the mound, I'm thinking like the the whole Zach Greinke, Carlos Quinton thing. Like, you know, Quinton did what he could to uh, like defend himself by charging the mound. He injured Zach Greinke, <laughs> and people got mad at that. But just like, well, you know, it's you know, it's you know, the hitter is just standing there sometimes, and if a pitcher is just using him for target practice, like the, it seems like there should do more to maybe favor the offense. Like, it. it I'm a, I'm open to the idea that a hit by pitch shouldn't be worth a walk or like, you know, like I'm thinking like Carlos or hit a couple guys with three ball counts mm-hmm. and like, that's just kind of cheap. Like that's just ball four, but now a guy is at the risk of getting injured. Like it just, it's no walk on his record. So he just had another walkless game, but he, you know, hit a guy. I mean, in the, in the event where like just, uh, you have bruises piling up and if hit by pitches keep rising or keep staying at this high level, it seems like that might be one way to nudge action and scoring and, and, uh, punish pitchers who are just, you know, aggressive with, I can give up a base here because I can strike guys out.
1: I like this. I like these ideas surrounding the hit by pitch. Cause uh, I, I do think there are opportunities to improve it. So I like these ideas, Jim. We'll see if these rules get implemented and we'll see what new rules are going to be added for the upcoming 2022 major league baseball season. When there is a new CBA and let's all hope one is agreed upon very soon but that will do it for this episode of the socks machine podcast thanks for listening and if you have been a long time lurker or brand new to socks machine and enjoy our work think about joining our patreon our patreon supporters get exclusive content ad-free versions of the podcast and website and the first opportunity to acquire our new socks machine swag i want to thank one of our new patreon supporters david offruct and one of our oldest supporters, Matthew Cowie, who has been with us since the start of 2018. Both are annual subscribers, which you can save 9% compared to monthly billing. In a few weeks, I'll be starting our Major League Baseball draft coverage with the college baseball opening day coming up in mid-February, and our Patreon supporters get weekly reports of the top draft prospects as an example of the exclusive content. So if you're interested, and again, if you enjoy work, you can sign up at patreon.com socksmachine The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?